Our heart-wrenching work that was one of the first of its kind to point to the invisible domestic and emotional labor of women. Deconstructing the family unit, the family soaks and stains us in a palette of primary perils. Those are words from director Sofia Bodanovich on Agnes Varda's 1965 film, Le Bonheur. Seeing Faces and Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer, and each week I invite a guest on to discuss a film and the artist's filmography. So quick synopsis on the Bernard. François, a young carpenter, lives a happy, uncomplicated life with his wife, Thérèse, and their two small children. One day he meets Émilie, a clerk in the local post office. The Bernard stars Jean-Claude Rouault as François, Claude Rouault as Thérèse, and Marie-France Boyer as Émilie Savigny. It's written by Agnès Varda, cinematography by Claude Bossolet and Jean Rabier, edited by Janine Verneau, and music by Jean-Michel Defay. So today my guest is Seth Vargas, and Seth and I met through Twitter. And I don't know how we originally kind of followed each other, but I think when you talk about film a lot, you kind of just naturally, you know, follow people that you follow, you know, mutual follows. So we ended up following, had a great rapport. And one day you were talking about this talk that you were doing about Mikey and Nikki. I, I thought it was just you because I'd never joined a, a, a Twitter space in my life. I didn't know what they were. I thought you were just having like an educational like <laughs> session about Mikey and Nikki. And I was like, yeah, totally. I'll join. I joined in and you guys were talking about it. Come to realize it's like part of a film club. And yeah. Nick Scheist, who runs that film club, you know, was super nice in asking if I'd like to speak and give my opinion and then contacted me about joining the film club. And, you know, here we are today. Yeah. Um, since then, you started your own podcast, Movie Friends, which I listen to every week. Actually, Thank listen you. to. You. I'm not saying that <laughs> like a joke. <laughs> I genuinely listen to it. It's a great show. And Seth, thank you so much for coming on. I I'd love hey, for course. you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the show and what your relationship is to cinema and Agnes Varda specifically. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm excited to be here because I'm excited that you have a show because I think that our appreciation for each other is mutual, where a lot of people on Twitter and a lot of people in the real world, when they talk about movies, they're primarily stuck within the last like 20 years. And mm -hmm. Felicia is one of like two or three people who are like my go-to old movie people. I love old movies, but not as much as Felicia does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited that you're doing this show because it's like, good, I can just listen to these episodes in a row and it will be all killer, no filler, so to speak. So I'm excited that you're doing this show. Thank you. As far as me and like my relationship to film, film has always been a big part of my life. I come from a really large family and we were not, let's say, wealthy. We were kind of the opposite. Mm -hmm. And so we very rarely like went to the movie theater because it was lot. I, I'm one of eight kids. So there's 10 people in my house. So to bring yeah. a, a family of 10 kind of anywhere was like a little out of the question, right? But what we did have was we had TV, we had movies, like every birthday, Easter, Christmas, the gifts were movies. Mm -hmm. I also am on the younger side. So I had all the influence of my older brothers growing up. So I was watching stuff 
not crazy like horror stuff, but I was watching stuff like way beyond what a little kid would normally watch at a young age. And it's just always been there. And now that I'm older, my interest in film is really part of my interest in humans. And I use film as a way of understanding people's perspectives. It's like eating to me. I work in the food industry. And what I always say is eating someone else's food is the fastest way to understand their point of view. Because if you and I watch the same movie, right, we might come away with different, we saw different things. If you and I eat the same dish, we're literally tasting the same thing, you know? Yeah. So to me, a movie is looking at what does Varda say about infidelity? And I get in an hour and 20 minutes, her version of this story, and I can understand her. And so I love people. And so I love film. And that's why the show that we do isn't centered around being right. It's centered around getting to know one another through film. That's what I love about your show as well, because genuinely feels like a safe space. And you guys have created that with all the additional stuff that if you are a listener, they have a Patreon that you should sign up for. (laughs) I'm a patron, so you can also chat with me there. Yeah. It's great because I listen to a lot of film podcasts, probably the only podcast I listen to because that's the only thing I'm interested in in this film. And a lot of them are great. Occasionally, you'll get some that kind of feel like they're maybe talking down to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never want to be that type of podcast and I don't yeah. enjoy those type of podcasts. So, you know, it's a, it's a medium that should be the most accessible art form. So it should just be a fun time. Yeah. I like that about the film club and I like that about the people that I talk to on Twitter that I selectively talk to on Twitter about <laughs> film because... <laughs> Occasionally, you might get some psychos on there. Occasionally, you might get a person who is so fixated on their own point of view and happiness that their pursuit of that causes a deep pain in other people that they are blind to. Much like... Much like Francois in Le Bonheur. I'm very excited to talk about this movie with you because you speak French. And I do not. How do you pronounce his name? Francois. Yeah, I'm going to say like Francois. (laughs) That's totally fine. That's how most people. Yeah. And sometimes because I've covered a couple of French films so far now, because French is technically my first language. So I just naturally say it that way. But I can't tell if it comes across as me trying to say them specifically in French. No, no. I I don't hear (laughs) someone speaking French. I'm like, what a jerk. (laughs) I mean, some of them are, are jerks. I want to ask you before I get into the tagline, actually, because when you picked the bun out, I was really excited. But do you recall the first time you watched it? Yes, I do. It was last year and I watched it on vacation in the woods with my wife and my son. I think my wife was maybe working in the other room. She's a computer programmer, so she kind of works wherever. And I think my son was napping. So it was just me. And I was like, 79 minutes. I like Varda. You know, this is this will be great. And I was just like beside myself, not quite rocking back and forth on the couch, but like looking around like no one's here for me to talk to about this. I'm freaking out right now. And it just had such a grip on me that I couldn't quite place. And, you know, hearing Varda talk about it, how she wanted to you know, show a picture of like a beautiful peach, but there's like a rotten core with a worm inside of it made the whole thing make a lot more sense. Because as the film is finishing, and I in doing my research for this, I found I'm not the only person to have said this, which made me feel better. As the Mm -hmm. movie's finishing, I was like, 
this is a horror movie. Like this is, oh, yeah. this is a horror film. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Cause we will get into that, but something you just said about when you finished it and looking around being like, I immediately was texting people being like, you need to watch the banana. Like you need to, cause yeah. I need to know what you think. Cause yeah. I cannot get it off my mind. And it's weird because people don't talk about it that much. No, when they talk no. about her. I think it's, of everything of hers that I've seen, it's the most arresting, I think. It might not be the most interesting, but it grabs you in a very particular way that her other films don't, because I don't think her other films are trying to grab you in that way. Like, I'm not saying that this is necessarily mm-hmm. her best, but even before we got on here, I had sent you a message earlier today. I was doing my second rewatch for it, and I was messaging you like, I really want to know what you think about this guy, because I feel very, very strongly. It was like, I just couldn't wait to talk to you about this. But before we get into that, because I have a lot to say about Mr. Francois, I'm going to read the tagline for it. And I think this one is important because it's not like your your regular tagline. So the tagline for the banal is... So they only have the tagline in French, and that translates to only a woman could have made this film. Yes, yes. And I think that's like exactly right on the money right there. Only she could have made this film. She's creating a commentary about what Mm -hmm. she feels, you know, adultery is, Mm -hmm. and it's different for everyone. And you can see that very much in this film. On that note, and I don't want to jump around too much, but on that note, Mm. I wrote down four different films from four different directors. Varda, let's just say this at the forefront, masterful. It is like, you know, she starts out as a photographer. She's called Mm -hmm. the grandmother of the new wave which is like why the grandmother what's going on yeah she can't be the can't mother she just be the mother can't <laughs> she just be the founder yeah uh like her first films considered the start or one of the starts like just call her the founder she's the founder mm-hmm. in my heart like demi and Truffaut. it's all great but to me varda her stuff sings and it shines far above them to me am i mm-hmm. the world's foremost expert on the French New Wave? No. I just know that I love her with everything in my being. And all of her movies, there's an edge, there's a playfulness, there's almost like, but there's a thumbing of the nose to everything that she does while being beautiful and well-paced and interesting and sounding great. It's just masterful. Like It's like watching someone come into the kitchen and someone's cooking. They're like, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong here. And they don't need a recipe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just <laughs> yeah. putting things together and you eat it. And you're like, how did you, how did you do that? Like, how did you salvage film and bring it up to this new place? Like, that's how, that's how I feel about her. So I just wanted to say that at the forefront. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about like infidelity in film, this movie is so, I don't want to say unique. I can't speak for all movies. There could be yeah. another one out there, but this one is very particular and very interesting because the infidelity is never approached in a negative way. So if we look at In the Mood for Love, we have great movie. Fantastic. Maybe the most romantic movie of all time. I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. You have two tortured people, right? They're tortured for their love. Brief Encounter, Mm -hmm. one of the greatest movies of any genre of all time. They're tortured, right? Eyes Wide Shut, fantastic movie about infidelity. They're angry. They're cutting at each other you Mm -hmm. know bill as he's walking down the street he's like punching into his hand he's having these images of this fantasy that she had that didn't even happen right and so from that realm of fantasy he is now going to enter into a fantastical world where 
the things are really happening and they're happening to this insane degree of like murder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like like he's taking, he's taking fantasy to like the highest degree, but it's two people tortured American beauty, right? It's this very suburban setting and it's this couple and they hate each other. And it's an exploration of two people cheating on each other in their mind and in their body, but they're angry. This movie, no one is angry. And I made a note on my second way through. At one point, Emily says, when I think about you with your wife, it's not very pleasant. Up until that Mm -hmm. point, that is just about the most negative thing that anyone says in this movie. Yeah. And there's no anger in her tone, though. No. She's just kind of like, ah, it's not the nicest thing. Everything is so idyllic. It's beautiful. We start on Father's Day. And it makes what happens so much more intense. And I wasn't conscious of this, even on my first two watches of this. I'm just watching a movie. Okay, okay. But she lulls you into this world. And it's really, I think it's really his world, his perspective, where everything is cool. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. It has to be from his perspective because he's only concerned with himself, his happiness. So someone could have been yelling at him, but he's just so in side himself that he's just like oh they're probably you know it's not like that and right it's just wild to see a film like that and and yet it is a quote-unquote feminist film right very much so told through a male character right this almost feels like an evil jacques demi movie yes (laughs) the colors and this like strange bubblegum facade to like Mm -hmm. this isn't really real life and it's interesting i watched this little Thing of Varda talking about this movie and she was like you know Jacques would go on picnics with me not because he liked picnics but because he liked me and I wanted to make this movie so that I could go on picnics and be out in the woods and in nature and I was like how much of this and I, I'm not trying to posit anything but like how much of mm-hmm. this is this relationship between you and your husband this movie makes you think a lot and it yeah. makes you think about yourself something you said ties in nicely with one of the facts that I have her wanting to make this because of the picnics and adding that element from her life. With this one, Francois's wife and children are played by his real life yes. wife yes. and children who have never been in any other films. Which adds another insane layer of realism. So he was like a big TV star and he had done this magazine cover and spread and on it was him his wife and his kids dubbed as like the perfect family she saw that and that's another reason why she wanted to cast him and it's wild to be like hey i know you've never acted before do you want to play this character where your husband cheats on you and then something bad is going to happen to you can your kids come along too for the ride i would have never known they were not actors no, they all seem so great. natural. Yeah. yeah, even the kids are great. Yeah, the theme that's been going along with Varda is just kind of her respect for human beings and her mm-hmm. audience, and she can get the best out of people. And I think that's also a great director getting a performance that good out of people who have never acted before. Yes. A couple other just fun facts. At some point, François and Thérèse, who's the the wife, are going to see yep. Bridget Bardot and Jean Moreau film. Yes. They don't, they never say what the film is, but it's called Viva Maria, which I haven't seen yet. I was trying to find, I was literally on Letterboxd going through everything with Bridget Bardot. And I was like, okay, okay, no, no. And I was going through everything and I couldn't find, and then I ran out of time. No, you know, Viva Maria from 1965. So when the film was first released, 
it created quite a bit of a stir because of its lack of moral judgment of adultery. In France, it was classified as forbidden to people under 18, which is the equivalent of a hard R. Right. That's what it said on the internet. Hard R in French. Or in France, I should say. One of the last ones that I just found funny as I was watching it at some point, they're kind of just walking around their area of Paris that they live in, and they're passing by like a movie theater. One of the films that's being advertised is Irma La Deuce, which is a Billy Wilder film. Oh, wow. Fitting, seeing as yeah. just did the Billy Wilder month. I guess the best way to start for me is I want to talk about Francois. Sure. Before we even get into his character, what his deal is, one, I'd never seen this actor before, but I don't know if it was just me, but he looked like french bill hater okay yeah so my first time watching it so distracted i was just like this is bill hater like please stop <laughs> and then this time around i was like oh this is like if bill hater was possessed by the spirit of daniel brule oh yeah and then i could not see because he looks like hater but he doesn't move or no. act like yeah. hater and then i was like oh my god i can't get this image out of my head it's like they split this guy in two to make daniel brule <laughs> and bill hater and maybe one was like the evil side and one was the good side <laughs> it's quite distracting okay i'm glad i wasn't just me because the whole time i was like this guy looks so much so I was like, yes. are they related somehow or what? Does he know that he looks like right. this guy? Like, I want to find an interview. As you said, this this movie starts off and it's kind of like an idyllic. He's sleeping on the wife uh, on her lap. She's awake. The children are asleep. They're in the nature near their bear tree, which becomes more relevant as the story goes on. When I first watched it, I hadn't read much about it, so I didn't really know what era this was set in. Was it supposed to be something from the past, Mm. you know, from the past the 60s? Because despite the way they were dressed, I was like, they seem to be in the nature. And then you get the quick shift to going into the city. Getting to know more about him, he seems like a great father, a great husband. And then all of a sudden, he's asking for this woman number Mm -hmm. going through with you know setting up a date they get together meanwhile at home he his behavior has not changed one bit i was like so this man's like and as he's talking to both of them he's so happy the other woman knows about his family he's telling her i am so happy you know i have enough joy for both of you he says and i was like this man's a sociopath yeah like he's giving off sociopathic behaviors where he does not see outside of his own vision right I guess I want to hear more about how you feel about the fact that he is so... You see films about people who are self-absorbed. This was was another level where I was just in shock. Yeah. So my big note on him is that he's a man without conflict, right? And we know that Storytelling 101 is here's the people, here's the conflict, here is them trying to fix it, they fail, then they fix it, the story's over. 95% of movies, right? You start to get this feeling of like, okay, does he have no inhibition? But there's one quick little scene where he's in the woodshop and they're talking about being a man of one woman. And he says, I have no problem with fidelity. And so I wrote that down. I was like, okay, he's not insane. Like he is still putting up the front of like, what I'm doing is wrong and people would not accept what I'm doing. And so he he lies Mm -hmm. and we don't see him angry at his boss. We don't see him angry at his coworkers throughout the whole movie. So it's not like he doesn't feel 
happy and free. He's happy to go to work and he's hanging up his bicycle and they're all smoking and showing up with wine and stuff. But he still maintains like some semblance of like sanity. And so that makes it all the more crazier to our senses as like people who consume stories. We're like, where is the conflict? And it never comes. Even when she dies, he picks her up. We see it. I, I can't remember how many times we see the same shot. It's like four, maybe five times. Yeah. Where he pulls her up four or five times, which that happens throughout this movie. I love. We just did Police Story and the last, the final stunt where he slides down the pole. It's like the world's most, most famous film stunt. They show it three different times from three different angles as if to be like, yes, yep. this really happened. Yeah. And we're going <laughs> to show you how it really happened. To me, all of the quick cuts in this movie. And I could be totally wrong, but it, it felt like to me when you're in a really intense moment, you know, I've I've had times where I was like in a hospital with someone dying or, you know, like you're falling in love mm-hmm. or there's an accident or just very intense moments. You become like acutely aware of like little things and little details while you're totally consumed with something else. But even as that's happening, he doesn't start like wailing. He doesn't start crying. He doesn't say like, I've done this to you. He never comes to a moment of realization ever. And that's what makes it so scary. And like in horror, there are there's two main things that happen to a character in a horror movie that make it horrifying. One is that something bad is happening and no one believes them. So you're being haunted by a ghost. You're being stalked by someone and everyone in your life thinks that you're crazy. The other scenario is that things are happening to you and everyone around you doesn't care. So this would be like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? There's this whole family. Mm -hmm. They're all they're all in on it. The Wicker Man, they're all in on it. And so you have these two different scenarios with this movie. We are the people who are witnessing the horror and it's on full display. And the person who can stop it or who is perpetrating it doesn't care. There's not a moment where we can breathe a sigh of relief of like, okay, finally it's over. And the final shot of them walking away for me, at least. And I, I think other people have the same feeling is this could happen again. This will happen again. There's no reason as the seasons change, all they do is change colors. They're in the same place. Yeah. And this will continue on. I feel like as a man, as not a woman, (laughs) I feel like that (laughs) is one of the best points that it makes as far as this being a feminist film is if men are not held accountable, they will never hold themselves accountable and they will just continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. It's funny that you brought up the the scene in the sh- his shop because I, I wrote that down. I didn't read it the same way that you did, uh-huh. as in like he was aware. I thought that he doesn't think that he's that he's not cheating on her because sure, they're sure. in love. So you know as you watch it then you realize okay he is obviously covering his ass but when i first i was like oh maybe he just doesn't think it's cheating because he's genuinely in love right it wasn't until the wife asks him and says hey you've been really happy lately right why there's a look on his face where he there's a look of shock it's very quick but Mm -hmm. it's the first time i noticed he was panicked Mm -hmm. where i was like okay so he does know that she's not gonna like hearing this and i am doing something wrong it's not like he's out and been like oh she'll be fine with it because he would have told her beforehand right obviously but then he tries to say no you don't you won't understand i don't want to hurt you and then he tells her because she didn't react with anger right off the bat he was like oh i'm in the clear and he plays it so well the actor where you're just like oh this man thinks that everything is 
are hunky dory. And skipping to the wife's dead, he goes to the girlfriend and was like, I would like for you to have a relationship with my kids. It's like, that's a wild thing. How long has she yes. been dead? Yes. Your children do not know this woman. You're asking this woman who has no relationship to your kids. But then she does it. Which yeah. I think that for me, I don't want to skip too much ahead on that, but is another reason why for the feminist reading and her behaviors there. But for him, it's just, as you said, and that, that final scene is straight up out of a horror film because you're like, this man has not learned a single thing. No, no. He actually thinks he's come out on top. He's standing there. And there's this moment with uh, as the camera's moving around and he's just like looking there and he's like breathing in the air and he's smiling. And that's yeah. when like the title, I mean, obviously the title has weight throughout the whole film, but you're like, oh, like happiness. This has all been about his happiness. There's another interesting thing that happens throughout the whole movie. The music is primarily played by wind instruments. For the final sequence, it's all strings. And it's not that there's like no strings throughout the rest of the film, mm -hmm. but it's very, very light. In the final sequence, it's all strings, no wind instruments. And at first, it's just playing, but it continues rising and it yeah. makes you frantic, like subconsciously. These are used in horror movies <laughs> to get you frantic. You know, we all know that. <laughs> Yeah, continues rising and your confusion and your hurt and your I can't believe this is happening all rise in tempo with the music. And it's it's such a genius move on her part. If you go back to the very beginning, it's the same song that's being played over the the credits with the sunflower it's just played with different instruments it's it's it has a totally different feel and that's why again it's just like this is a new chapter it's almost exactly the same to the point where in the beginning when they're walking towards us i i can't even tell who that is i can't tell if that yeah, is therese or if it's emily and at the end when they're walking away i was like oh my god i still can't tell i know that that's emily but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who he's with that's the thing it absolutely does not matter to him who the human is yeah as long as that human is making him happy yeah he will find another human yeah or another branch as he says he can grow another 10 arms i mean that was so creepy like to him it's romantic right imagine yourself right and you're with your partner and you're trying to explain this thing look this thing has happened he is he is describing himself as this like incredibly in control capable monster of love right where he doesn't just say like yeah. oh i have one arm for you and one arm for her he says i have 10 arms around you <laughs> And again, it sounds romantic. And I'm sure to him, it sounds really romantic. But to us, especially on a rewatch, you're like, what an insane thing to say. Like, ugh. I remember when he was saying that, just like rolling my eyes so <laughs> hard that I was like, I'm going to give myself a headache. Yeah. At some point as he's doing that speech, I kind of just naturally shift my attention to her mm. because I'm done with him at that point. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to hear you. You can be in the background. And I'm looking at her face, how she's reacting. She's not looking at him. You know, she's listening, taking it in. And there is a quote from Varda who said that Therese's reaction should have been, go to hell, I want to be alone with you. But she doesn't, you know, because that's not what the story calls for. Sure. Because sure. that, that would switch the narrative out of his perspective. All of us are like, you should tell him to right. fuck himself, right? obviously. But she says, okay, you know, I really care about your happiness. But there's still a look on her face. And it just could have been a character choice from that actress. But 
the look on her face is that she's done with him, and which leads to the following scene. And I know a lot of people read it differently. Yeah, I'm I'm curious how you think of that. I don't think it's an accident. As a mother, sure. I was like, you know, no judgment on the decisions that people make in the heat of a moment of course. and heartache. I just was like, ah, how could she leave her kids? Like, mm-hmm. why would she, why would she just take them and leave him there? <laughs> so then I was like, maybe it was an accident. Maybe she slipped and fell. We don't know what her history is in terms of like being able to swim. My first thing was, okay, she was deeply upset. But then I thought of the kids. I was like, I don't know now. I still don't know. And I think it's a good thing that, you know, she never explicitly tells us. Yeah, it's definitely ambiguous. The flashes that we see of her reaching for the branch as he's like holding her, I think I'm firm in my thoughts on this. If someone disagreed with me, I wouldn't tell them that they were wrong. But in my mind, because we get the flashes of him when he's talking with Emily at the cafe and they're talking about taking a walk to the whatever, some building. Uh-huh. They, they see each other in front of them, holding each other, right? And then when he goes to her apartment, we see flashes of him kind of like surveying the apartment, right? When they're in bed together, it's it's amazing. I, I don't know why people don't do quick cuts like this. It's so effective and mm-hmm. like just cool looking, but you're seeing all these quick little cuts all around their bodies or, and her body. Yeah. I definitely think that that only exists in his mind, that he's right away trying to justify, oh, no, she didn't kill herself. This was an accident. Because yeah. if she killed herself, then I would have to question why she killed herself. And if I did that, yeah. I would have to come to the conclusion that it could be me. I do think that it's purposefully ambiguous because not to us and not to Varda, but to him, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why mm-hmm. she died because he's just moving straight on to the next phase of well, what do I do next? And if she killed herself or if it was an accident, it's irrelevant to him. And so since this is from his perspective, we never get to know. And that's the horror. And that's that's the horror of the whole thing. Those cuts of him picking her up repeatedly. But then, as you said, there's no outcry. And Mm -hmm. the only moment of panic, really, that you see is prior to him finding her when he's looking around with the kids. Right. And he's asking, have you seen this woman? And then when he sees like the crowd formed around a woman, he kind of shoves the kids towards this older lady. Right. Like, yes. Do you know this woman? You're yes. just leaving your kids with her. I think that's partially why I do lean towards her killing herself because there's so many people around. Yeah. And, like, even like where they found her, that if she fell in, she'd be yelling. Yeah. You know, someone like, would jump in. It, it doesn't make total sense that it was an accident to me. But again, I think it's meant to be ambiguous. The scene that you were talking about, just to go back when they're lying in bed, I also love that scene. It's There's great. so many great cuts in this scene. And another one that I really love is during this dance sequence and where they're all changing <laughs> partners and like it kind of oscillates between the tree and as it masks, you know, the cuts. Yes. And I was like, why haven't people just stolen this? Like I would 100% steal this for any film I make. I, I don't know. I don't know how, other than <laughs> just ignorance and not to be i think anyone can create anything right like who knows where creativity comes from inside of us but there's such Mm -hmm. like a rich history to steal from when it comes to film that yeah the only explanation for people not constantly ripping these things off is that they're just not aware because yeah i don't think you can watch this movie and not either be inspired to get more into movies or think oh i would do that like you said (laughs) because it's just it's when they meet at the door of her apartment for the first time and it's just flashing 
back and forth between mm-hmm. the two of them. I'm like, yes, I love this. I love this. And then oh, when they're in the bed, it does become one very long uncut shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's doing it all. It's it's great. There's so many films that she has made where I just kind of catalog. Like if for my imaginary family, I will never make. But if I ever, for some reason, get money and decide to make that film, I have it all cataloged to be like, okay, I'm stealing that. Like, mm-hmm. shamelessly. <laughs> like, I don't care about sure, guys. Sure, sure. Look, you know, you got Brian De Palma literally doing the the stairs from Battleship Potemkin. Yeah. Just bold face stealing. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. No. It's like, then people start, like, showing that scene in schools also right. as a comparative. Right. I love that. We touched upon a lot of the stuff of the look and the feel of the film that I wanted to talk about with the music and, you know, the cuts. And you mentioned her quote about the summer peach and the worm. Mm-hmm. What I want to talk about, I guess, is the vibrancy of the colors because yes. she has made stuff in color. She's mm-hmm. made stuff in black and white. I, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone. Maybe because Clea was the first that I saw of hers and I've seen other black and white ones. I associate her with that. And then the color ones are not as vibrant as this is because like Absolutely a vagabond, not. it's not no. vibrant as this. And that, like you said, it's kind of like an evil Jacques Demi. Film. Yes. <laughs> and it kind of is. It's not that she's stealing from him, but like they were a unit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I love that because it is like, you know, Jacques Demi woke up one morning. It was just angry. It's very much like that, but with Barda's voice through right. it. Right. Right. Again, it's it's like that thumbing her nose thing where it's just like, mm-hmm. like, I'm a master. I'm dancing around this form. I'm taking this. I'm yes. doing that. And look, I'm doing it better. I mean, look, I love I love him. I love all of his stuff. I think it's great. And they're together. They're making totally different things. Uh, and I love that. I think that she's having a little bit of fun. And like you said, you look at like Vagabond or one sings, the other doesn't. N- nothing looks like this. That also ties into something I wanted to talk about, the way the film perceives heterosexual monogamous relationship, tying it Mm -hmm. into their own relationship. I think it's well known that they were together, they're married, they were in love, but they clearly had their own things going on on the side. And it's an agreement that they have. Sure. And at the time probably was, you know, shocking. And I still think it would be shocking to a lot of people to have a specific type of relationship the surface you look like you are one thing and then you're not to some people anyway this film discusses that right because sure because at some point i'm thinking he doesn't think he's cheating so i'm like is he in like in his own mind like a polygamous relationship does that's a word that he would even know is that something he's even thinking of or is it just that he thinks that right this is normal to him and who we to say it's not, but he's also not discussing that with everyone. So I don't know how you feel about how the film tackles right. that subject. I can tell you from different articles and different takes on this. I've literally heard people saying that this is like pro polyamory and other people say that this is Varda's like clear takedown of open relationships. I got into this rabbit hole of the whole history of the free love movement because Mm -hmm. this is made in 1960, filmed in 64, right? Comes out in 65. This movie had a real effect when it came out. One of the things that I watched on it, it was on Criterion Channel. They said that this played for nine months in Argentina and a year in Japan. That's insane. (laughs) And so this clearly was a film for its time. And so I was looking into... All of that. And I don't know. I don't know. 
I think that she's vilifying him. I don't think that that's necessarily a question. I don't know what she's saying about everything else. What I do know is that it makes you ask yourself a lot of questions and it makes you con it makes you consider your own feelings and your own morals about what he's doing. Because you might be watching this movie and think like, wow, this is crazy. He's got two ladies. And then when he has that scene with her and she's like, yeah, this is great. You know, happiness by addition, not yeah. subtraction. Okay. And you're like, wow, he got away with it. This is cool. And in yourself, you might breathe a sigh of relief. And then what happens next will hit you 10 times harder. And so then you'll have to think like, okay. Why did I feel that way? Or if you're screaming at him the whole time yeah. and then she says that, you're like, no, this is a masterpiece. It's masterful. It's it's doing this mm -hmm. better than other master. <laughs> it's a conversation machine, I think, this movie. And I'm not surprised mm -hmm. there was like a huge outcry because it doesn't let you alone. It churns you up yeah. and spits you out. And it's like, all right, good luck. You figure it out. <laughs> Those feelings you have, especially in like the third act, I, I felt that and I, I won't lie, I did kind of have that momentary sigh of relief for being like, oh, maybe she'll discover herself also and fall for someone else and they can work it out and be it. Because like, who am I? I, I? Everyone has their, everyone's relationships are different. I have a particular relationship that's different from other people's. So I was like, if that works for them, who, who am I to, if they are all genuinely happy, I'm happy for them. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Because <laughs> by the time that you kind of settle in, whether you're like relieved or you're upset with her for agreeing, you're taken right out of that. Because it's not long after that scene that she dies. Right. And I mean, it should be a clue when he wakes up, right? The kids are waking him up or whatever. Because throughout the entire film, the time yeah. when he's asleep is when she's getting things done. The movie opens with him sleeping and she's putting out the fire and she's putting the kids to sleep. Later on, when he's dreaming of Emily, he wakes up and she's like, oh, you were saying love. And he's like, oh, I missed. <laughs> and she's like, I already fed the kids. And the, you know what I mean? And so like the time when he's sleeping is the time when she's working. And that carries through till yes. the final moment of her. Yeah. As you said, it, it is a masterpiece. And it's so hard to talk about it with just I mean, not that we shouldn't be gushing about it, but you know, when you're like, I don't have the words to describe. We're, we're trying our best here. This is a vibe. You can't explain this. Mm -hmm. You can't explain it's a movie about an evil guy. Like that doesn't do this mm -hmm. justice. You have to feel it. Like you have to experience it and you have to, I think, watch it and be going through all of these things in your head for it to really grip. Like, I don't know what my elevator pitch for this movie would be. A movie about a sociopath? Well, that's not interesting. Because, you know, you would think of American Psycho. You're like, okay, I know what this is. Nope. Oh, it's a movie about infidelity. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like Eyes Wide Shut mm -hmm. or American Beauty? Nope. It is nothing. <laughs> it's none of those things. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Because anyone that I've recommended it to, I haven't said really what it's about. I'm like, there's this film called Lebanon by Anya Sparta. I need you to watch it. And the only thing I say is because I want to know what, how you feel about the male lead. Yeah. So I don't say anything about the film. I was like, I just, now that I'm giving this person homework and they need to report back, but I'm just like, I want you to tell me. Oh, okay. Well, let's just say if any of you do not interact with Felicia <laughs> on Twitter, she is a very good homework giver. And yeah. When we first started interacting, you'd be like, oh, you should watch this movie. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely going to watch it. And then like a week would go by and you'd be like, you haven't watched this movie yet? And I'd be like, oh, no, 
you and Vanya would be like yelling at me all like I'd be posting movies I'd be watching and you'd be like interesting <laughs> but you didn't have time for um secrets and lies yet okay and I'd be like oh or the swimmer <laughs> which is funny because I'm like the worst with like Rex where I'm like yeah it's on actually on my list but then I'm like very methodical about getting through the list but I like to rib people and be like you haven't watched this yet but in a good way i'm not trying to like shame anyone it's more just like i'm so excited for you to watch it (laughs) well right there there are certain directors and certain films where when someone hasn't seen it Mm -hmm. and this again i think comes to changing our language from a place of like superiority to a place Mm -hmm. of welcome when you don't look at them and say you've never seen an agnes varda film yeah how can you consider yourself a movie person to changing that to oh my god i'm so excited that you have never seen any of these movies because it's literally going to change your life and i'm excited to be you know holding both hands and being able to like introduce this when you can show someone a movie like that and then like you know for you i'll always associate i brought up like secrets and lies that was one Mm -hmm. that you and vanya had told me to watch i'll always associate the swimmer with you when (laughs) you introduce a movie to someone that becomes like part of your relationship, especially when it's a great movie. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a great privilege. It's a great honor. And like, I, I feel like with a lot of Varda, it's hard to explain, like explaining yeah. Cleo from five to seven, you can do it, but it's difficult. The gleaners and I, how do you explain like the quirky joy yeah. of this old woman with a leaky roof <laughs> and like cats and going and yeah, like, picking potatoes. potatoes yeah right like <laughs> you can't like you just sound foolish you know yeah. yeah as you said it's it's a vibe and yeah something that varda does herself is just the genuine excitement and in introducing something to someone because i love film so much and as i've said in multiple episodes so far it's really the only thing i ever talk about so I never mm-hmm. want to feel like I'm pushing people away for something that I love. I would never shame someone for being like, you haven't seen this yet. It's more so like, I'm jealous that you haven't seen it. Because when you mm-hmm. do, you get to watch it freshly new. Like, yeah, I'd love to go back and rewatch this for the first time because it will still have the same effect on me. And I'll still love it. But it will never be like that initial shock sure. at the end of being like, oh, that's over rolling the credits now. That's right. how we're ending it. In like the best way. So I'm always just like jealous when someone yeah. hasn't seen something. Sometimes I'm jealous when someone hasn't seen something that I do hate too. And I'm like, I'm jealous because oh, I wish oh. I didn't have to see that. <laughs> that is also a very fun thing. I very much like when people talk about the film Cats, the musical, uh, the film adaptation, which is I'm not a movie hater. I only have six films ranked at half star on my letterboxd very purposefully i can find good in almost everything cats is one of them and it's equally as fun to show that to people and i've 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 showed a lot of people that movie and recommended people to see it because it's just another experience it's yeah i actually have never seen it i'm not even going to tell you to see it because i'm sure you have 200 movies more deserving of your time but what i can say is you will never forget it i'm sure i won't (laughs) i'm sure i will not I know our good friend from the film club, Sean, talks about it quite often. So yeah. I've wanted to watch it for him and Morbius maybe one day. Haven't oh. gotten around to that one. <laughs> all love. All love for Sean. Oh, for him. Yes. For the films. No. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. Maybe Varda would have liked cats. She was a big cat lover. You know? Yeah, I know. Maybe she would have been like, you know, this is like the type of camp that maybe she likes. Yeah. I love camp, but then camp, camp is fantastic. Camp, and then there's like camp that's not well done. Right. Again, I haven't seen it, so I can't judge it. So we kind of touched upon Emily and her relationship to Francois and her telling him at some point and acknowledging that, hey, I don't like to hear about how happy you are with your family. Because obviously she has some guilt there. Not enough to leave him, but like, I can't imagine that it would be nice for her to hear. I don't know how much younger she is than him, but she's, you know, been living single woman life. She lives alone. She has her own life. She's now being thrown into the the role of the mother Mm -hmm. especially not even just the mother but of kids whose mother died and i was curious when he introduced that concept of being like i'd like for you to love them it switches to they have a life together and i'm just sitting there waiting for it to go bad you know waiting for her to have a scene of of just being like i can't do this i'm leaving and it doesn't happen or the kids to be like where's mommy or i don't like this person and it never happens just from his perspective and being like they obviously are all happy you know we're all we've forgotten about her right (laughs) we're all good now hey that was summer this is fall yeah (laughs) and i'm gonna bring you guys to the same spot where you know i came here with your mom you guys are cool Mm -hmm. with that right because you're here now with your new mom despite the fact that it's a male lead and it's told through him it's still concerned with like womanhood and the concept of motherhood and being a mother whether you gave birth to those children or not Mm -hmm. you're also a parent i don't know how you think about how that's tackled i know you probably also think that we're just seeing the good sides of it because he only sees the good sides do you think there's more to it or are they actually genuinely a happy family i think that like all men who seek opportunity to do wicked deeds he has the benefit of people who can't fight back and these are kids but these are young kids very very young earlier in the film he chides therese for carrying around their youngest son too much and he says he needs to walk and he's not Uh talking that much and so i'm horrible with kids ages and like milestones yeah (laughs) like my first son he was six months behind on everything. So if he was supposed to be walking it this month, it was six months later talking six months later. My second son, it seemed like he was way advanced in a lot of. So whenever I look at a kid, I'm like, shouldn't you be talking by now? And my wife's like, they're nine months old. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, you get the feeling that the son is very, very young and the daughter, mm-hmm. she's not. And that also brings up how long were they together? Yeah. How old is he really supposed to be? You know what I mean? Like none of these things are clear. And by not being clear, it can kind of be anything, you know, and mm-hmm. so it, it applies to a lot of different scenarios. We can't say, well, they've been married for 10 years. It's normal for people to start looking outside of their own marriage for romantic partners. They could have been married for mm-hmm. three years. We have no idea. I think that he has that benefit and everything just kind of slides into place. You know, like he's like, mm-hmm. everything's coming up Millhouse. It all just works so beautifully for him and man i can't believe when he's standing there in the woods it's almost like i can't believe i got away with it or like i can't believe it worked if he wasn't a sociopath those would be the thoughts he'd be having you know what i mean yes yeah but you're waiting and like varda withholds all of that that the relief that we would have felt if the wife had cried out and you know given him the business or 
the relief we would have felt if he grieved his wife and realized what he had done. Or if mm -hmm. the final confrontation was the kids saying, no, I miss my, she gets no sympathy. She gets nothing. We're like yearning for judgment and justice and truth. And it, we never get it. Even like the very short scene where like her family is mourning her. Yeah. But we don't get like an actual funeral. We don't see a burial. No. And it's two seconds of them. It's mainly, actually, there's something interesting. It's mainly the mother. And then I think his siblings, like his brother mm -hmm. and wife are there. And they say that we can take the kids. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, you know, but can I still visit them? Because they're my right. kids. And I'm like, sir, where are you going? Why are you leaving right. your kids? Right. Because you don't seem to be heartbroken. So why are you leaving them? Right. Because he's waiting to have someone to take care of them with right. him. Because he needs, you know, a mother for them. Right. So he needs to make sure he's secured that before he's like, okay, I can have them back now. <laughs> one one thing that I saw online, so this is not my own thought, was mm -hmm. how cold it was that he's sitting at the table with her parents. Their daughter just died and they'll never be able to see her again. And mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, you can take the kids, but you know, I still want to see them. Of course I want to see them. And how they have to just sit there through that. I was like, that's a that's a really good point, you know. It just drives into who he yeah, is. Yeah, it's like he's asking for help, but at the same time, it's like, well, you can help me, but in the way that I want you to help me. <laughs> that only benefits me, you know, right. not the kids in any sense, because we don't know their relationship. When it's proposed that they get split up, it's not him who speaks up and says, well, we can't split them up, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's either his brother or his brother's wife who's like, no, you can't split the two kids up. He's just kind of sitting there, like letting them take care of all the details. And then, all right, well, when can I come and play with them? Because in his he's, he's working overtime on how he can, you know, introduce Emily to this yeah. new situation. That's what he's concerned about. He's like, well, they're taken care of, so I don't need to think about them. It's just, wow, it's wild. There is a quote I do want to read from some of the research I was doing about uh, concerning ties and Emily. There's something I read that says, who speaks for women's experience and subjectivity in a society, global patriarchy, where women are conditioned from birth not to speak for themselves. So Therese and Emily and Abana are extreme examples of women who did not speak, women who repress the knowledge of their own feelings and desires, lest they come into conflict with their husband's or lover's happiness. Wow. When I read that, I was like, okay, I got to read that because that is exactly what's happening here. They are probably women who are speaking. He's not hearing it, right? Right. If it doesn't agree with his happiness, it's omitted from his mind. So right. they're presented as women who don't really have any thoughts other than his happiness, which is a wild thing. Yep. Because in the hands of someone else, I don't know how that would be presented. It would not be presented well, I think. Both of them have like the tiniest bit of a fight that they put up. Like I said, with Emily, she's like, I don't really like hearing about your wife and when you're with her. And he he never backpedals. You know, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I really didn't mm. think about, I I've just kind of been going on. He's like, no, you don't understand. Yeah. And then he proceeds to tell her what it's like to sleep with his wife versus her. And I'm like, right. Just the zero lack of self-awareness. Right. Uh, when Therese is like, oh, I don't really, like, how long have I not been the only one with you, right? He's not like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't. He's like, no, you don't understand. And so, yeah, that I mean, that's a great, that's a really, really great quote. Women don't get to speak for themselves. <sighs> that's the banana for you there. Or Francoise the banana. I feel like right. that's what you could have that as like Francoise the banana. <laughs> 
I think too, like the title, I'm sure you're familiar with the Todd Salon's film Happiness. Yes. And a different type of happiness. I think it's still an exploration of how important is happiness. Yeah. Because you have all these different people in pursuit of their own version of happiness. And we see how it all comes crashing down in various extreme ways. It's the Mm -hmm. same exact thing here. So like, you know, we live in a very interesting day where people are more depressed than ever, Mm -hmm. but we're constantly told that we need to be putting like self-care above all else. And like, you need to pursue your own happiness, you know, don't listen to the haters and (laughs) happiness is put at this like really supreme thing. But the things that make us happy don't really, they don't fix us. And so it's like, yeah. we we have this example here of a dude whose only pursuit is happiness. Yeah. And we see how evil that is. And I, I want to be careful about like how I say that because there's nothing wrong with being happy, but it has to be tempered with what's right and what's just and what's true yes. and what's right for people. And <laughs> it cannot be the only thing because it's the only thing to him. I, I think you said it perfectly. It's like, yes, we all want to be happy. Who wouldn't want to be happy? Sure. But for you to chase happiness and we all, yes, we should all strive to get there. But at what cost? Right. You know, it can't be at the cost of others. Right. Because we could all be doing that. I could all just be like, yeah, I just only care about being happy. And then sure. know, the life around me is just crumbling and falling sure. apart, which it is in his world, but he doesn't see it that way. Right. I don't know. Every time I think about it, it's one of those films when I recommend it to certain people. I mean, I'd love for everyone to watch it, but sometimes I you go to specific people who you know will actually watch it. Of course. Because you're like, I know that this is going to make you so angry, not angry enough for you to hate the film. You know, sometimes you watch a film no. and it makes you so angry that you cannot watch it. Sometimes yeah. you're like, I'm so angry because this is like some people's realities. You know, it's not like this is some sort of fantasy. Yeah. And it should also make you look at yourself. I hate when people can only watch a movie and see things black and white, ones and zeros. Oh, this Mm -hmm. dude is evil. I'm so glad I'm not like him. Right. Mm -hmm. I watch this movie and it makes me examine, well, how do I steamroll over my wife when she, you know, very quietly speaks up and says that she doesn't like something. Do I immediately go into explanation mode of why what she's feeling is wrong? Or do I stop and listen to like the quiet voice and be like, okay, tell me more about that. Or I'm sorry. Or if you Mm -hmm. can't see yourself in this dude, you might be this dude. (laughs) That's the thing though. I think there's parts of all three of these people in everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully to small degrees, but I, I think so. It's sometimes some characters like that will make you mad because you're like, oh, I'm seeing parts of myself that Mm -hmm. I don't like seeing because, yeah, maybe I'm not the best listener. We're not to that full extreme that he is, but we all have our faults. And as you said, if you don't see, you know, yourself in him, then you probably are him. Mm -hmm. Are there any other additional parts of the banal that you'd like to discuss all right, I'm going to give you three things rapid fire. Yep. One, people eat more sugar in this movie than I've ever seen people <laughs> eat sugar in a movie. And I feel like that's on purpose. Two, when he is talking to Therese on the blanket towards the end, the way that he is grabbing her face is so violent and uncomfortable. Yes. It's like the mask is slipping a bit. Again, it's something I didn't really notice until my rewatch of it. But I was like, I know what's going to happen to her, but I'm like afraid for her in this moment. The other thing is I just want to like lift her up a little bit 
she's like an accomplished dressmaker, so much so that she's making mm-hmm. someone's wedding dress and flower girl dresses in two weeks. And in that moment where everyone is looking at her work at this wedding and everyone sees how beautiful the dress is and how she has like, you know, made this wedding nicer and better in that moment where he should have been there, like supporting her and appreciating her work for the quality that it is. He's quote unquote, hanging shelves. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and like, that's another part of the pursuit of like just selfish happiness is it robs other people of their proper due because you don't Mm -hmm. see them the way that other people are seeing them and you don't see them the way you're not lifting them up the way that you should be. And so, you know, if you're married and, uh, you know, your spouse is doing something, don't be out, you know, making out with Emily while measuring shells. Yeah, exactly. Those are all great points. One, I didn't actually didn't notice the sugar bit. Oh man, people are constantly eating sugar in this movie. I wonder if it's like a French thing, but also it's probably... Maybe, but I watch a lot of French movies and no one's sucking on sugar cubes like this. <laughs> I'll make sure to look up for that on my rewatch. Yeah, the scene where he is grabbing her face when he thinks, oh, you know, she's down for this lifestyle too. Mm-hmm. And he's just so happy. And it's just so gross. It's so mm-hmm. gross to watch. And like the look of discomfort on her face mm-hmm. and look of sadness on her face. I just was like, oh my God, dude, just leave her alone, please. Yep. In his mind, he's like, this is making her happy. That's great for her. But I have something that's going to make me happier in this moment. So I'm going to go for that one. Then I'll come back because yep. I'm done with that happiness. So then I'm going to go to you because I want to hear about how happy you were. That'll mm-hmm. make me happy instead of experiencing it with you. He's just, he's a chore. He's a chore. I haven't heard someone say that since I was like five years old. That's great. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's that's my best way to explain Francois. I would say he's the devil, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that too. That too. Yeah, devil, you know, evil Bill Hader. Yeah. So I think we covered the film to the best of our ability. What I'm going to do now is move on to my end segment and credits. I have two questions. First question, Seth. Someone comes up to you and says, I've never seen a Varda film before. Are you recommending they start with the banana? If so, why? And if it's not, which of her films would you recommend? So it's crazy because this literally happened like three days ago where someone was talking about Agnes Varda films. And I think you said, oh, yes, well, yes. And yeah. And I commented, you know, I think I commented one or two. And then I said, the real answer, though, is all of them. Like, it doesn't matter yeah. to start with <laughs> any of them. Like, I know we've been talking about this movie and I wanted to because for some strange reason, this is like not near the top for people or it's not like talked about a lot with her, which is really mind blowing. I mean, all of her stuff is great. I definitely think that this is a good place to start. I would recommend this one, if not your first one, at least your second to just get. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of parameters. Like if you watch Cleo from five to seven and then you watch this, you're going to see a good spread of her ability and her sensibilities. So, yeah, I think this is a great first, second or third movie for her. Absolutely. I agree with what you said. When I'm recommending a film to someone who's never seen uh, a film from a specific director's filmography, I want to give them not necessarily my favorite, Mm -hmm. but maybe the one that I think speaks to who they are the best. Right. One where you can sit down and you're like, okay, I understand what they have to offer. Mm -hmm. I can then branch out from there. So I would recommend, like you said, this could be a first or second film. Typically, I would say maybe Cleo. And then this would be the second, because I think this also just right off the bat, you understand who she is. And same with Cleo. I think we're on the same page there. Sounds like. Yeah. 
second question is a double bill one. So if you're creating a double bill, either for yourself or for someone else, and this question is always interesting because people are like, well, it depends on the mood and they usually have more than one. So don't worry <laughs> if you have like multiple because everyone right. does. I do. What film would you pair this one with? So it's hard to answer this 100% because like I already said, this movie, I don't want to say it's 100% unique, but it's very singular. It's very peculiar in in how it covers its subject matter. And so I feel like I would kind of go the opposite. Okay. I would love to watch a movie like The Notebook first okay. and then watch this movie to okay. see the dynamics of like loving someone who's in a relationship already and you see it from like the nice fun romantic mm -hmm. hollywood and you're like oh i love this yeah <laughs> and then maybe you see it from this other side and you're like oh how do i actually feel about these things so yeah i would probably do something diabolical like that i would trick someone into watching a nice movie like the notebook and they're crying and then we start this <laughs> and they're like oh great and then it hits them that's Dave. That's interesting. And I love the notebook, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that would be great. You're going to be experiencing like a wide range of emotions through <laughs> both of those films. Yeah, that's an interesting pairing. The one that I picked, so I did a couple, but the first one that I thought of was the Eric Romer film, A Tale of Summer. Mm. And this is one, without giving too much away from the film, it's one where a guy is on vacation somewhere in France, and he's now embroiled in relationships with three different women he's trying to navigate that all these women are telling him off being like okay you got to pick one of us right he's just not getting a break really so it's the opposite of this where he is not getting away with this that doesn't give away too much of the film sure sure i think an interesting contrast to be like this is a film where a guy is faced with taking accountability and how he navigates that so that's essentially what the film is so i thought that would be an interesting pairing another one i thought of was frank perry's a diary of a mad housewife and it's not even really similar but it's about a woman in an unhappy relationship and she seeks outside of that and how she navigates it so it's like a different side of the coin and mm -hmm. you know how that affects her and the consequences she may or may not face by doing that when you said Frank Perry and then said Diary of a Mad, I thought you meant Tyler Perry. <laughs> no, that is. Yeah, no. And I've never I've never realized. That's funny. Imagine. I mean, hey, maybe I like Tyler Perry movies. Do you think Tyler Perry knew that that movie existed when he made Diary of a Mad Black Woman? Probably. I feel like he's a big film nerd. They have the same last name. I mean, yeah. what are the chances of that? Anyway. <laughs> I never thought of that. Now I'm going to have to do a deep dive. Like, <laughs> sir, have you ever mentioned this movie in an interview? That's like my my go-to. Whenever I'm curious about something, I'm like, hmm, I got to find an interview where someone's mentioned sure. it. Sure. I could be doing better things in my life, you know. We could all be doing better things with our <laughs> lives. Seth, thank you so much for coming on the show and bringing forth the banana. I was so excited when... You suggested that you wanted to do this one. I know you had said it might not be her best, but I still want to talk about it. And I was like, I don't know. It, who's to say what's her best one? Because, you know, we all have different opinions, but it's up right. there. And I 
think it's wild that it's not talked about more often. And I'm just so grateful to have the chance to talk to you and talk about this film with you. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah, I'm glad, honored to be here and very excited to talk about Varda on our own show. I think it was two months and then we did mm. Female Directors Month. And I was like, we're talking about her like first, like yeah. <laughs> immediately we're talking about, I couldn't wait to talk about her. So yeah, any any chance to talk about her, I will take it. I appreciate you. I appreciate your show. I appreciate Michelle. And I appreciate Jean Marie too. Gotta shout out Jean Marie. Oh yeah, always. Always. She's the Therese to my Francois. <laughs> yes. In the best light that we can all yeah. see her. You yeah. know. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks, man. This is great. Seeing Faces and Movies is an official podcast of the Royal Film Club. It's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney, intro music by Lamar Walker, and additional help from Diane McGrath. If you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesandmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesandmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode on Faces Places. <laughs>